I'm Philip, and I'm perfect. I can do no wrong. And if I did, I would do it perfectly. Out of ten commandments, I've broken exactly, oh, none of them. I bowl a 300 every single time. Never lost a badminton game. I'm kind to everyone. Even my neighbor, who some people say is a real jerk, with his dog who poops on my lawn. I have never harmed anyone emotionally. I always use the it's not you, it's me thing to break up with girls, even though I'm perfect, so how could it be me? I love serving, especially on the board of my HOA. It's a little way I give back to my neighbors to help them understand the importance of a clean community. I help the elderly, I feed the hungry, and give to the poor, never questioning how they will spend my hard-earned money. I have never had an impure thought in my entire life, even when watching football after church, and the cameraman finds the cheerleaders like he always does. And that's not a judgment on the cameraman. I don't judge because I'm perfect. Now people always say, "What would Jesus do?" You know what Jesus says? What would Philip do? Andrea Smith, and thank you for worshiping here with us at West, either in person here at Lake Norman High School or worshiping with us online or via podcast. I'm the pastor here, and we are in the middle of a message series called Cinema Sunday, and we are looking at various movies that are popular in our pop culture right now and looking at what perhaps lessons we can take away from these movies and apply them in relation to our scripture and what we hold to be holy and true and what what that means for our lives. So I want to ask you, how many of you have seen the movie Birdman, if you will clap? Not very many. Last Sunday we did Unbroken. Clap if you had seen Unbroken. Did you hear the difference between like who saw Unbroken and who saw Birdman? Say yes or no. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, I wanted to make sure it just wasn't in my head because sometimes there are things that live up there that are not, you know, like in your heads. So, Birdman, 
wins all these Oscars and these Academy Awards, won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography, and that is all just in the Oscars category, and then won like four or five more awards through the Golden Globes and uh, the Screen Actors Guilds. It was one of the most popular movies award-wise, but I have to confess... When the movie was suggested for Cinema Sunday, uh, they, the person that suggested it had a great idea and said, you know, what about this parable? It goes along with it, and they sent me some clips from it, and I'm like, okay, well, that, that looks really interesting. So Friday night, I sat down to, or Thursday night, sat down to watch the rest of Birdman, starting from the beginning to the end, and I have to tell you, I took a nap. So then on Friday, I thought, okay, I'm going to focus and I'm going to watch Birdman so I can make sure that I have the relevant points to tie in with the scripture. I study scripture first, study the movie last. And so I tried again in the middle of the day on Friday to watch Birdman. Guess what? If I'm ever sleep deprived, I mean, I just need to like either read some books or, or watch a movie that I just can't follow. For whatever reason, I just could not get in to the movie. However, it won all these awards. So I, there's got to be some catch, some draw. Now, I do not certainly know what the answer is to what that draw is or what the catch is, but I do have an idea the premise behind the movie and the whole plot line, I think is something that we each struggle with in our own lives. Not that we are turning into a giant bird or something like that and we've got feathers growing on us, but the things that the lead actor, Michael Keaton, the things that he dealt with in the movie are things that we each deal with every day. Since I try not to be a hypocrite, I could not give you an Andrea Smith synopsis of the movie. So therefore, I'm relying on a different one. Uh, thank you, the internet and Bob. He is a critic, and this is what he wrote of Birdman. Since most of you have not seen it either, please hear me read his words, because this is a great description of the movie. Riggan, the main character is a man struggling to make his mark in the world. Having achieved fame as Birdman, he voluntarily walked away from his own screen role and battled the inner voices that had him believe that he was far more powerful than anyone could imagine. He was now old, irrelevant, yet still driven so Riggan chose to pursue his dream of honoring the man who inspired him over 20 years ago. Riggan and all those around him are facing similar battles, but they seem to be unaware of any battle other than their own. Determined to make his play a success, he overcomes obstacles and works to come to terms with the realities of life. Nearly everyone finds themselves in both positions of giving and receiving the words that they need to hear in the moment. Riggan attempts to let himself truly feel what he needs so that he can find inner peace 
and freedom. Opening night finds him offering the performance of his life for more reasons than one. And the success of that night will make or break the future of his play. Like everything else, his handling of events is affected by demons only he is aware of. I think that's why people identified with the movie demons that only individuals are aware of wanting to be somebody in this world, wanting to make a mark, to leave an impression, to leave a legacy. Sometimes we imagine that we are more than we are, and so then when reality comes crushing down, you know, we're humbled. I want you to take a look now at two clips. We're going to show them simultaneously from the movie. And then I'm going to read a parable to you from Jesus Jesus told parables, they were stories, and they would be set in the context of the time so that the people could understand the point that he was trying to make. The point that he makes in the parable that we're going to read today is a point that we understand uh, several times throughout Scripture. It's a point that he tries to make over and over again in different ways, so clearly it must have been important. I want you to take a look at these two clips. Relax. Relax. You can't do this to me. To you? Oh, shut up. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, uh, yeah, you're talking about you. Now, what don't else do is the new? thing, the thing you, where I'm you, making you, about me. Look, I'm trying to do something that's important. This is not important. It's important to me. Okay? Maybe not to you or your cynical friends whose only ambition is to go viral. But to me, this is, my God, this is my career. This is my chance to finally do some work that actually means something. It means something to who? You had a career, Dad, before the third comic book movie. Before people started to forget who was inside that bird costume. You were doing a play based on a book that was written 60 years ago for a thousand rich old white people whose only real concern is going to be where they go to have their cake and coffee when it's over. Nobody gives a but you. And let's... Face it, Dad, you are not doing this for the sake of art. You are doing this because you want to feel relevant again. Well, guess what? There is an entire world out there where people fight to be relevant every single day, and you act like it doesn't exist. Things are happening in a place that you ignore, a place that, by the way, has already forgotten about you. I mean, who the f*** are you? You hate bloggers. You mock Twitter. You don't even have a Facebook page. You're the one who doesn't exist. You're doing this because you're scared to death, like the rest of us, that you don't matter. And you know what? You're right. You don't. It's not important, okay? You're not important. Get used to it. I'm sorry, what was the question? Never mind. Today wasn't bad. Oh. It was, it was weird, but it was kind of cool. Yeah, really, you think? Yeah, I think people liked it. Yeah. Well, 
What are you doing, by the way? Homework? No, I don't. No. Um, my, uh, when I was in rehab, they made us do this. Really? What is it? It's, um, these dashes represent the six billion years that the Earth has been around. Oh. And so each dash represents a thousand years. And, um, this is how long humans have been here. 150,000 years. I think they're trying to remind us that that's all our ego and self-obsession are worth. I was a sh father, wasn't I? No, you were... You were fine. Yeah. That's right, I was... I was just fine. Well... I can't. Dad? Okay. Oh, shoot. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, you just wiped out I the know. entire human race. <laughs> there it goes. I'm sorry. Hey, um, you're becoming a trending topic. Really? Yeah. I should probably tell you about this before anybody else does. 350,000 views in less than an hour. Believe it or not, this is power. Do you think that's what he wanted to be trending for? Do you think that's what he wanted the Twitter feed to be about? We live in a world where we let Facebook and Twitter and Instagram likes define who we are. We let social media and the opinions of others drive our motives. Or sometimes we let those voices that are deep within us and deep inside our heads cause us to act in certain ways and respond in certain ways. There's a danger to all of that. I believe if Jesus were around 2,000 years later, his parables would have included Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But they didn't. They included things like banquet tables because that is something that everyone understood. So here are these words from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. Jesus is telling a story. When he noticed how the guest chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. So when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you to come may come and say to you, give this person your place, and then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's that got to do with Birdman? He had voices inside his head convincing him that he was far more powerful than he was, that he was the man. So much so that then he did sort of crazy things like walk through town, you know, with his underwear on. That's a little odd. When he would do things like that, he would learn very quickly, you know, that he was not nearly as invincible as he thought that he was, nor was he as powerful as he thought he was. When Jesus was telling the story to the people that had been following him, he had noticed their behaviors. He, he was very emotionally intelligent. Uh, he knew what made people act and react the way that they did. And those same things that happened a couple of thousand years ago are the very same things that you and I do today. We struggle with wanting to make a a place in this world and to leave a legacy. Several years ago, our conference started this thing called leadership development. And so pastors were invited to go to this, this session and you would spend three days on studying your leadership, your leadership styles, do a 360 review and, and hear the feedback from others and then walk away with a personal development plan. I had the honor of being in one of the first cohorts that went through this. And so you got like homework that you had to do before you went. The first question that we had to all answer was, what legacy do you wish to leave? I've never thought about a legacy. I'm in my mid-40s, I hope. I have a few years to go in this ministry thing before it's time to worry about my legacy. I asked my mentor, I'm like, I'm supposed to leave like a legacy? What do you mean leave a legacy? And and she said, well, you know, it's, it's how they phrase it. You know, what mark do you want to leave on this world? It's something you need to think about because that's what ultimately drives your actions. I believe that's what Jesus is trying to say to the people who are jockeying for positions at the table. So picture a banquet table at like a wedding feast. And actually in just a few moments, we're going to have a goodbye celebration dinner, celebrating not that Matt is leaving, but celebrating a new chapter in his and Laura's life and the fact that they have made a tremendous difference and impact on us here. And they're gonna stay connected with our journey. So it's gonna be a celebration and a happy time. And you know, it's, it's like a formal banquet It's a formal lunch, especially for us here. So there's a head table. Probably, as we walk out there, we're not going to be looking at the tables and going, you know what, I should be sitting beside of Matt. We're not going to be jockeying for the head table. You're going to go through the buffet line, get your chicken, and then go find a seat. Well, Jesus had watched some people jockey for the head seats. We see that over and over in Scripture. So guess what? That means it happens in life, and it still happens 2,000 years later. Remember the story where the mom asked Jesus, you know, so can one of my sons sit on your right hand in heaven, and can the other son sit on your left? And Jesus is like, whoa, missing the point. So we've got this, you know, story here of this banquet table and Jesus is like, look, um, if you're trying, if you're trying to get to the head of the table, it's not going to work out really good for you. 
When you go sit at that head seat, then the same person that invited you has probably invited some other people that might deserve that seat or need that seat or be appointed to that seat a little more than you. So probably that host is going to come up to you and say, excuse me, this isn't yours. And then you're going to be humiliated and you're going to have to go to the last seat. So it's better if you'll just go on and take that last seat because then only good can come. Only steps up can happen. The last shall be first. Those who are humbled will be exalted and those who are exalted, the first, will be last. It's his lesson to humanity over and over again. You know the danger with that lesson? False humility. When we take the low seat so that we think everybody's going to notice, wow, how humble I am. I'm so selfless. The other danger with that also is to conjure up in our minds what we think we know is best for everyone else and how we want to help those who are the least, the last, and the lost, and then self-impose our desires for generosity and hospitality on other people. Those are two of the dangers of false humility. Jesus would have shaken his head about that as well. You see, these parables that Jesus told, these stories, they're not, you know, just stories of the head. They're stories of the heart. What motivates us? What causes us to do the things that we do? Those are questions that we should ask every day. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to do. When you go to the table, where do you sit? When you choose from a variety of things that are offered, what do you choose? Do you choose the best at the cost of others? Or do you choose the least? Jesus had some clear answers for what we should choose. Those answers aren't easy. He showed us the cost of discipleship, the cost of being at one with God included, you know, in the kingdom of God, living into the kingdom of God. It cost us everything. But when we give ourselves, when we work to give of ourselves and our ego and our passion for perfection and our drive, when we give those up, Jesus said that is when you experience the kingdom of God. I'll tell you a personal story about that and then show you a final video clip. I always hate sometimes telling you these stories because, you know, like in a court of law, anything you can say will be used against you. So, you know, sometimes I share things with a good intent and it comes back to, you know, like hit me upside the head. So please hear I'm confessing to you one of my leadership flaws because I think we're in this journey together. I am, I hope, your spiritual leader. And you need to know that this is not some kind of like magic pedestal. It is simply a stage. 
I stand up here because I feel called in vocational ministry to study scripture and lead us in such a way that we make a difference in the world. But it does not mean that I am perfect in any way, shape, or form. And I battle the very things that Jesus taught us to battle. And I'm reminded over and over and over again to give them to God. Five and a half years ago, six years ago, I came up with this idea of a back-to-school bash. I was in Dallas, Texas. We were studying how to launch West. It was a year before we were going to launch this new satellite campus of Williamson's Chapel. And there was an advertisement on the radio in the Dallas Coliseum. They were going to have this thing called a back-to-school bash with vendors and, and fun and school supplies and haircuts and food. And it was just going to be a great day for any of the students in the Dallas area to come and receive things that they would need to start back to school. I had been the missions pastor at Williamson's Chapel for six or seven years at the time, and and that was a very generous and missional-minded church. And we would have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of school supplies every fall to give to the area schools. Well, I'm a former school teacher, so I knew that the students needed the stuff before they went back to school, not after. Nobody wants to ask their teacher for supplies. And no one, no one wants to feel poor or lesser than. So I came back and I had a conversation with Leslie Wilson, who was one of the key leaders on the missions team at Williamson's Chapel, and Joycelyn Armstrong, Darlena Goodwin, and Denise Takas. And five people launched what was called the Back to School Bash. We had no earthly idea it would ever reach more than 200 to 300 students. We made lots of mistakes the first year, the second year, every year. Each year we would try to learn from our mistakes and make it better than the year before. It outgrew me. So this past year, you all, with your generosity, hired a a director of the Back to School Bash. And Bonnie Battaglia led that brilliantly this summer. And my involvement was merely just to order the school supplies and make sure we had the right sizes of shoes. It was like, honestly, the best summer I've ever had. Maybe not for Bonnie, but for me. My daughter, Lane Smith, is an aspiring leader, I believe, and she volunteered to help Bonnie for free, and so she became Bonnie's right-hand person, and you know what, as a mom, that's one of those things you sit back and you watch, and you're like, wow, that's really cool. One of the gifts of leadership is when you can give it away, and it still lives and thrives, and that happened this summer, so it was really, it was really cool for my soul. Now, back last year after we had the bash... The Statesful United Methodist Pastors came to me and said, could we please take Bash to Statesful? We had last year given it to the Union County United Methodist Pastors Network. We all have these little networks that we're a part of. And they had replicated Bash so beautifully I said, sure, we would love to because we, ex- we exist as a church, as a faith community to give ourselves away. No strings attached. That includes ego. We talked several times on and off throughout the winter and then March came around. We had that introductory meeting with the pastors and me and we talked about how to give it away and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they're like, well, we want your help. We need your help. I'm like, oh, great. We all want to be needed, right? 
So I volunteered, you know, to help in any way possible. Lane said she would help, and Bonnie said she would serve as a resource. We as a church would do whatever was needed. Time passed. A couple months go by, and I, I said, you know, what do you need from us? The reply was, we've got it. Now, I have to tell you, I was a little disappointed because I wanted to see it multiplied in states so I wanted to be a part of that, you know, experience, and I wanted to be needed. I needed to be needed, and so I had to pray about that. I shared it with my mentor that gives me spiritual counsel. She's wiser and has lots more years of experience than I do, and I said, what do I do with this? And she said, you do what they ask. I know enough to know that toxic charity is when we assume what they need and we give it whether they want it or need it or not. That's toxic charity. And as a church, we don't do that. And as a leader, I really try hard not to do that either. So I swallowed my pride, swallowed my ego, and said, here. Here's our website for free. Here's all this stuff. Here's the notebook. Here's everything. Let us know if you need us. Time passes, they would ask some questions here and there, and we would help with bigger things like school supply orders and stuff like that. But, you know, for the most part, they had it. They met every week, this whole network of pastors, and I watched from afar. And I'm like, wow, that's really cool how all these pastors are working together, like 20 are working together to make this happen. Thursday night was their volunteer training. I felt like I should serve. I told them that I would from the beginning. I wanted to see my promise through till the end. And Lane had moved into more of an internship type role with them. So she was deeply engaged. I was not. Thursday night, I went to volunteer training. Now, I want to remind you, I'm the, one of the founders of the Back to School Bash, but I went to volunteer training because my soul told me that was the right thing to do. That was the Jesus thing to do. So I put on some athletic shorts, not that I'm athletic, and a t-shirt and put my hair up on top of my head so I would blend in and not look preacherly. And I went to the training. I sat in among the crowd and no one knew that I was there. It was a good night. They were doing some introductions and some thank yous, and the pastor that was leading it said, we want to thank West United Methodist Church, uh, Andrea Smith, the pastor, and she's not here tonight, so I knew that I'd been inconspicuous if they didn't know I was there. Success, right? And somebody said, no, she's here, she's here, she's over there, so I just sort of waved, and that was that. Training went on and they ended and then the night broke up and all the teams were in place and then I hear this voice from across the cafeteria with all hundred whatever volunteers in the room. Andrea, we have a problem. I said, what? We don't have enough volunteers. We don't know what to do. Can you help us? How do we find more people? It's Thursday night at 7.30. Every leadership decision that I make as a person, as your leader, as a pastor, I look at it, I try to through your eyes. So when your pastor sends out a last-minute email, I conjecture that you may possibly think, well, she's a little last-minute on this one. 
But I also don't really throw under p- other people under the bus or try not to. So I just decided that I was going to do nothing other than tell them, put it on Facebook, write your friends, ask your churches, everybody send an email and say, we need 10 more spots or whatever. If you all do that, they will come. Fridays, I spend time in scripture studying for the message and you just heard it. Those who sit at the head of the table, mm -mm, doesn't really work out that way. Those who are humbled are exalted and those who are exalted are humbled. For me, how could I tell these other pastors, go ask for help at the last minute if I weren't willing? Because you know why I wasn't willing? It's because in March they told me, well, we've got this. My ego got hurt a little and I wanted them to need me. They didn't need me at all. But then they did on Thursday night, and who was I to say no? That would have been sitting at the head of the table. So God convicted me midday on Friday. I didn't like it very much. And I sent an email. And as you always do, you responded. I want you to take a look at... uh, What Brady Johnson, the superintendent of Iredell County Schools, said yesterday to Josh Pettit as Josh served. I just want to thank all the folks in the community that made this bash possible today. I am really moved by what I'm seeing here today. This is the body of Christ touching the community. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you did to make this possible. You're touching a lot of lives in our community, and I'll never be able to properly thank you for this, but we greatly appreciate your partnership and your love of the children in this community. Thank you. I was determined yesterday that I was going to live into being an anonymous volunteer. I was not going to be the founder of the Back to School Bash. Actually, I was referred to yesterday, I found out from one of the West volunteers as Lane Smith's mom. They didn't even know I was a preacher. That's like the best thing ever. Yes, that is something to clap about. I'm proud to be Lane Smith's mom. And you know what? Then the West volunteer said, well, she's our preacher. And they said, well, she doesn't look like a preacher. Brady Johnson, I was in the shoe area, and Brady Johnson rounded the corner and after a few seconds recognized me and said, oh my gosh, wow. And then with tears, tears, he's the superintendent of the school system and probably not supposed to talk like officially about Jesus. So this was off the record. It's just him being there as a church supported event in the community. With tears in his eyes and his voice choking to me, he said, this, this is the body of Christ. I could not be more humbled to be a part of this. Heard that little voice in the back of my head from God saying, see, see what you would have missed if you had insisted on being at the head of the table. I ask you, what table are you sitting at and where is your seat? Let us- Thank you for being a part of the journey. We each have a journey. Yours doesn't look like mine or Matt's or anybody else's. It's yours. We all have a banquet table. 
we all have to decide what seat we sit in. May we go and explore what it looks like to be last. Amen.